The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! Welcome back, by the way. Aw, oh, thank you. We missed you. Wow, wow. I know I missed you. Murphy and I missed you. Oh, Murphy definitely missed Murphy me. Murphy was crying when you walked up the stairs. He was so excited to see you so today. Hilarious. He's very much a people person. Yep. He's a dog, by the way. You guys haven't picked up on that yet. All right, we're going to... I was going to say, we're going to jump right into this Yeah, we're going to try and right? jump right in because yeah. we have a lot of time today. We've got a great... All right, let's get this show on the road. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan. You're with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, atop Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. We've got a great show for you today. The election is in about, what is it, like 10 days 10 now? Days, yeah. It's in 10 days. Now, you might be watching this after, after we've gone off live because we'll be sharing the social media afterwards. So you might even have less than 10 days. This is going to be a debate between State Representative Colleen Gary to my far left, uh, who is a Democrat and she's a Republican. I'm sorry, a Democrat <laughs> and she's an incumbent uh, versus George Bogue, who's sitting to my left, uh, who is a Republican challenger. And before we start, I just want to um, let you guys know next week we're having a debate between State Representative candidates Joe Finn and Adrian Ramos. It was really tough to get that going. We were really expecting to have... Uh, the last show before the election be about all the candidates and the and the ballot questions, but we we got confirmation very last minute from Adrian. So next week we're going to have that debate. Um, so make sure you tune in for that. Um, I also want to thank my friend Mark uh, Roberge at Prospect Hill, the band Prospect Hill, who sent me two backstage passes to their Halloween party at Wally's on Saturday night. I want to invite everybody to come Saturday night to Wally's up at Hampton Beach to see uh, Prospect Hill. I'll be backstage taking videos and pictures and having fun, but I'll come out and drink with you guys if you show up. Um, all right. Uh, to my left, we've already introduced everybody, George Bogue and Representative Colleen Gary, they're running for the 36th Middlesex District, something that only the candidates really know about. Nobody cares what district anything is, um, but I just want to make sure I get it right. So why don't we start with, let's just jump right in. Um, we'll start with Colleen, since she's the incumbent. Sure. Um, just give, by the way, the rules on, on the debate, there are no rules, okay? <laughs> so I'm not going to say, okay, how do you solve world peace? You've got 34 seconds, okay? That's, that's not a debate, those things that you see on TV they call debates are not debates. Debates are when people talk to each other and they're not timed. So that's, how, that's what we're going to do today. The only thing I ask is that you uh, not use political acronyms. So if you're talking about the Department of Education, don't say DESI. Nobody knows what that means. Um, a lot of people are watching that aren't on you – know, they're not political insiders. They don't get that language. That would be great. And I'm only going to interrupt if – Somebody's getting too much time or someone asks a question, they're not letting the other person answer it. So why don't we start with just whatever, how much of a time you want to take, but just kind of be mindful of the time. Introduce yourself. Tell people who you are. Why should people vote for you? 
Well, thank you, Tom, for having us and Chrissy for helping to manage this whole thing, produce this thing, I guess, is the official. She's the, the real official. brains behind the yes. operation, trust me. Thank you for having this. Thank you, George, for being part of this. Um, I have been the state representative now for 28 years. Um, I had worked at the state house prior to that as a legislative aide um, to the rep from Drakeit, uh, John Cox, for eight years. While I was doing that, I went to night school and, and got my degree in, in uh, law. So I'm a practicing attorney, family attorney with a business right in Drakeit. Um, serving the communities of Drakeit and Tingsboro for the last 20 years has, 28 years has been uh, the joy of my life, um, besides my family. Uh, I have been able to help people, help the communities, um, make some changes in state government and some of the processes that we go through. Um, I have been in the leadership, and I've been against the leadership. Um, my biggest thing is that I vote for my district. I vote for what the voters want. I don't care if they're a Democrat or Republican or unenrolled or Libertarian or Green Party. If they have a need, we will be there to help them. Um, I will vote for an issue regardless of who sponsors it. If it's a good idea, I'll vote for it. I'm not afraid to go against leadership. Now, some people will say, oh, leadership's letting her get away with voting that way. Well, the truth is, I have given up having the opportunity to have a leadership role. I do not have the extra pay. I don't have the committee assignment. I don't have the extra staff. Um, and that's my decision because I want to have the freedom to be able to vote for my district. Um, and I don't know how many times I hear people say, you're the only Democrat I vote for. Uh, so I'm asking you right now to please listen to the rest of our conversations and ask you to vote for calling Gary for state representative. George. Hello, my name's George Bogue. Well, first off, thank you, Tom, for having us. Thank you, for Colleen. Thank you for our studio audience, and thank you to those watching at home. Um, my name's George Bogue. I'm a lifelong Republican. Um, I worked at BU for about 30 years. Uh, I'm also, I was active in my local union. Um, I spent two terms as my local union president, UAW Local 2324. Um, I liked that job until COVID came along. COVID decided, uh, COVID convinced me I'd had enough of it. I've actually didn't run for re-election to the union and I've gone back to my old job at BU. Um, Colleen does vote against leadership most of the time, however, there's a super PAC that in the last three weeks has spent $17,000 so far, and they've spent, each week they come up with new spending. They sent out postcards supporting Colleen. Now these, by the way, these are non-union printing jobs for, this, for these postcards, by the way. But my question is, when you have, and this is a pact that supports leadership for both the Republican Party on Beacon Hill and the Democrat Party on Beacon Hill. So my question is, are they spending $17,000 because they, and they call you a fierce advocate. Do they think you're going to be a fierce advocate for your district, or do they think you're going to be a fierce advocate for leadership? Actually, George, um, I guess you didn't do the research on this pact. This PAC is one that says, common sense for the Commonwealth. We support candidates who we believe, as the majority of Massachusetts voters believe, that our Commonwealth is best served when our economy is thriving, our communities are, are vibrant, and our state government is thrifty and responsible. Um, I think you said that this was one that supported a lot of Democrats. Um, actually, the last round that I saw of their expenditures 
Uh, Ten of them were Republicans, uh, five of them were Democrats, and one was unenrolled. Um, Another one, uh, let's see, it was a vast majority of Republicans, including um, non-incumbents, challengers that they spent money on. These are people like Herb Chambers um, and some of the others, Gary Campbell, who has done a lot of developing in our area. These are people who have multi-million dollar businesses and they want to see the Commonwealth continue to thrive. I am proud to have their support. I have never spoken to these people before. And if you look at it, they have supported Tom Hodgson's, Tim Whalen, Tim Cruz, Dan Higgins, Lou Evangelist, Nick Baldiga, David Vieira, I mean, these are, and Bruce Tarr. They're all Republicans, except for a few of us who are very moderate, who are very fiscally conservative, and who do the best we can to make sure that our government stays friendly to the business so that we can keep our jobs here in the Commonwealth. Well, in the primary, they supported 15 candidates. 12 of them were Democrats, three of them were Republicans. Now that we're in the general election, they're supporting both sides. As you say, they support Bruce Tarr, the Republican um, minority leader in the Senate. They also support, and I know I'm going to mispronounce his name because I believe he does not pronounce it Rodriguez, but Michael Rodriguez, who is the chairman of the Senate um, Ways and Means Committee, who I believe you served with in Mm -hmm. in the House, who back, I believe, when Finneran was still the... uh, the um, Speaker of the House, Mr. Rodriguez, got into a beef in New Hampshire because he was at a state liquor store with his state rep uh, license plates. So again, these people support the Beacon Hill establishment of both parties. I think you're wrong again, George. Um, As I just said, there are quite a few of Republicans that more, more Republicans than Democrats that they're supporting right now. And you know, it's really funny that you're gonna really come out so so angry about this. In 2014, when Mass Fiscal Alliance spent over $8,000 sending out brochures against me with things that weren't even true. Yeah, they were untrue, by the way. We fact-checked those. Yes. So these, at least, are just about me, and they're positive about me. There's not one hitting you. And in in 2014, over $8,000 from Mass Fiscal Alliance went out against me, lying, and gee, silence. Silence from you, silence from the Republican town committee, you know, it's not an issue. It's not. I wasn't running in 2014. You were available. You were in the community. You were a member of the Republican town committee. Where was your anger then? That another group was putting their nose into our election because you supported Kathy Richardson, who was the beneficiary of these negative ads. So let's be honest. Well, again, I was, I ran in 2010, I ran in 2014, uh, 2012, I wasn't running in 20, uh, 2014, I voted for Kathy, I, did, I wasn't out actively campaigning, I was not politically active, I, was a, I wasn't even a member of the town committee, I actually took a few years off after I had run for office and I thought I was done with politics. The last couple of years I've gotten back into it, and I am involved now, and again, $17,000 in three weeks. You haven't spent any of your own money since July 8th. You've only spent $3,000 all year, and they've spent six times that. You know what, George? I haven't spent my own money, and that's because I have not 
um, gone crazy to write, put ads out against you or put any of that. Let's be honest, George. You haven't even started campaigning until two weeks ago. You complain on your show that we need to have a longer period of time between the primary and the general so people can get to know people. You've been the Republican nominee since you filed papers back in May. You've done nothing. Nothing. Well, I, I was, uh, I've done some door knocking. I was out gathering signatures for um, the petition to get the illegal alien question on the ballot. I, I'm actually spending my own money on my own campaign. And, you know, I work for a living. So I'm doing the best I can, but I'm working and campaigning. Did you ever have a fundraiser? I did not because... Generally, I had those the last two times I ran, and, you know, they, it ends up costing me more than I raise. But, I mean, your, your spending all this year has been on, the, on your fundraiser. You, you sent out invitations, and you had the fundraiser. That's the right. only thing you've spent money on. And I have money still to go. I could spend it tomorrow. But you why, don't know. But why so should you? the reality is, George, A you didn't even have your campaign account correct until September 19th, I think it was. They sent you letters in June, July, August, telling you what you needed to do with your account, and you didn't do it until September? I wasn't raising money. I, didn't, I wasn't spending money. I've totally lost did. control of this debate. So um, that's a great um, opening statement <laughs> by both of you. Um, and this is okay, too, because I, I want this to be a debate where you guys can freely talk mm -hmm. to each other. Um, but I really don't think that the voters care about what... PACs or who's raising money. I, I think the voters really care about issues that affect them. So if you don't mind, um, since George brought up the illegal aliens, I want to talk about something that I'm absolutely furious about. You have people like TMF who go out and serve the homeless. I want to talk about homelessness and addiction mm -hmm. first. Um, you have people in Lawrence like TMF who go out and service the homeless every night. There's about 150 people just in Lawrence alone. I know another 300 in the Lowell Drakett area that, who are homeless. And yet, while those American citizens are sleeping on the banks of the Merrimack River, the state, the governor, decided to use our state tax money to put 75 illegal alien families up in a hotel in Methuen. While they're in a warm uh, hotel room last night, there were over 150 people on the banks of the Merrimack River in Lawrence, another 300 in Methuen, um, in Lowell. Uh, as candidates, as, as a state representative, what will each of you do to make sure that our state tax money is going to Americans first? You want me to start? Yeah, whoever wants to go first. So, you know, I thank you for what you do for the homeless. I know you do an awful lot. Um, the reality is uh, we need to find out why they don't want to go to shelters. Is it because of a substance abuse issue and the shelters are dry? Is it because of a mental health issue that they're not getting addressed? Um, I think that's really important. We've been supportive of programs. My dad were, was a recovering alcoholic, and thank God he was sober 30 years when he passed. But um, we've been supportive of programs like the Bridge Club of Greater Lowell, which during the pandemic, they were able to put all the AA and NA um, meetings online so people could watch from home because they couldn't go to those meetings any longer. The churches had shut down all the extracurricular activities. Um, we have been pushing for more mental health. Um, we've got to get to the root of the problem as to what is causing them to be able to want to live on the streets and not in the shelters where they can get assistance and get into another program. Now, we just passed, um, we've just opened up the veterans housing in Drakeit, uh, the great program that we got millions of dollars into from the state. 
um, so that nine families, um, at least seven of them are veterans who now have apartments in Dracut. Um, those are the kinds of things that we have to do, but we have to make sure that those people, when they get the apartment, they can be self-sufficient. Self and so that's more of the programs. But CTI and some of those other programs, we have to work with them and work with the mental health and work with the substance abuse and try to get them assistance. All of that sounds great. Mm -hmm. But my question is, 75 families who are not American citizens who snuck into this country illegally are taking advantage of our state tax money, thanks to our state officials, while Americans are sleeping out in the cold. And I want to know, as state representatives, what will you do to make sure that our state tax money goes to if, if all If there was no homelessness, I would have no problem with what's going on right now. What do we, how do we put Americans first? I think it has to be an executive order that would require those agencies only spend the money on the the um, the state people, the 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 American state legally there folks. Um, that's something that we need to address. Uh, it could be an amendment in a budget to try to do that. Would you favor that? I would. Okay. Um, just as I favor the uh, the. I am against the illegal drivers. I'm one of the 10 members who signed on to that ballot question, um, and I collected signatures for that as well. Um, that's not a real popular idea in my Democratic no, circles. No, it's not. But that's who I am. And I think my, uh, a lot of my issues were about the ability to drive and be able to then use that driver's license because they refused to put anything on it that said for driving privileges only to walk into a town clerk's office and register to vote. George? Well, I think when you look at homeless, you have to look at why are people homeless. And there's a couple of different reasons. Sometimes you have a family that hits hard times. And, you know, maybe those kind of people should be put up in a hotel for a, for a short period. Though in the past they've done that and it tends to, you know, be an, a never-ending thing once it started. But, you know, in a short term when you have a family that's hit, hit, working on hitting hard times... You need to work with them to get them set up on their feet. Mm -hmm. The other thing is when you're dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues. And I agree, you do a great job with the folks in Lawrence. The Bridge Club does a great job in Lowell. You know, giving, giving money to, you know, keep AA programs going. That sort of stuff is important. And that's something that, you know, maybe the state, the governor should like put someone in charge of just coordinating all these agencies as opposed to just, you know, everybody's only doing their own little piece and there's no overall program. So that's, that's something that, whether it's Maura Healy or Jeff Deal, that's kind of an executive issue that they have to deal with. But the legislature, one of the things the legislature should be doing is oversight on how these issues are being handled. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they do that. So, so I guess the answer is, for those at home, is that it's really something that the governor has to deal with unless the, unless the state representatives, unless there's, I guess, maybe a majority that can override that. Right. And that's the problem is right now we have a lot of progressive members of the legislature, and it's very difficult to get some of those things done. I, I would like to tell George that there is an agency. The Bureau of Substance Abuse takes care of all the substance abuse treatment programs in the Department of Public Health and the Department of, Public Ment of Mental Health work on coordinating all of those. But they're an abysmal failure, though. I mean, it, it's tough because right now we're having trouble finding employees. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge, a huge problem for all of us. And I've talked to Mass High and said, where are all the people? Right. We can't find people to do anything. Well, um, but... You know, my concerns, some of my concerns are the young kids who 
don't even want to work 40 hours a week. Right. Um, they're graduating from the vocation. I know one, one graduated in masonry, and he doesn't want to work 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. He'll stay at his 20-hour-a-week job. Um, so I think we've got to do something about encouraging people. And one of the other concerns that I have is the Section 8s. We have the Section 8 housing, and it's the voucher that, a voucher that they can go and, and stay in an apartment, and they, the agencies actually check the apartment, make sure they're safe and so forth. But it seems like generation after generation, if the grandmother had it, then the daughter, you know, the mother comes in and lives there for a while. And when the grandmother dies, the mother has it. We're not doing anything to encourage them to get out on their own. We're not helping them get a job and keeping the Section 8 at an affordable amount so they can save up and get the next apartment. I think we need to have a program that really moves people along and not live on welfare and, and Section 8 for the rest of their lives. Well, you brought up a good point when you said that uh, the state's having a hard time getting people. Part of the reason for that is that um, <clears throat> a lot of state workers were fired for refusing to take a vaccine. What do you guys think about mandatory vaccines for state municipal workers, uh, that kind of thing? Let's let George go in first. I am opposed to vaccine mandates. I mean, when when the vaccine came out, I got it. I was happy to get it. Eventually, my employer required it, so I would have had to get it anyway. But I, I don't think they should have been mandatory at the time. And now that we've seen the vaccine doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting COVID, they certainly shouldn't be required now. And I know the... The CDC wants to make it uh, mandatory for students. And, you know, out of the first million deaths in the United States from COVID, a thousand were people under 18. So there's really no reason to have these vaccine mandates in place anymore. Ms. Representative? You know, I think it has to be what's going on in our society (coughs) at the time. And, um, you know, we all have uh, 2020 vision looking backwards. But I think that we have to go with the experts. We have to um, take their guidance and do the best that we can. Um, I think that if there were people working with the public, um, I'll I'll be honest, we were put into uh, remote um, because, let's be honest, if we were all in the House chamber, 160 of us, and somebody had it and spread it to all of us, we all go back home and shake hands and do all that. Now we've just spread it all over the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to look at it carefully. There was a bill... um, Andy Vargas had filed an amendment that would eliminate the the, uh, medical or the religious exemptions from that. I was not in favor of that. I'm in favor of keeping the medical and the uh, religious exemptions. Uh, But I think I I can't say that I would never uh, go along with it being mandatory for being a vaccine for schools. I don't know what the situation is going to be. We see the whole RSV virus that's going on now with children, and, and it is something that is spreading, and the doc, the hospitals, the pediatric hospitals are filled to capacity. Um, we don't know. I was a biology major. That's my, what my um, bachelor's is in. Each variant can be so different, and it, we have seen that it's been different. And if there's a, a situation where children are dying because of this, and a vaccine's going to prevent them from being as sick that they're going to die, then it is a positive thing. Uh, but I think that uh, just as parents who don't want it have a right to say, no, I'm not going to have my child have it, so do the parents of children who are, are vulnerable, and they have a right to an education too. And so are the teachers who work in those, are, are the other facility um, employees, they have a right to be safe as well. So it's not an easy question. 
Um, I, I think that we have to look at the, the uh, amount of disease that is out there at the time and how it is spreading and what variant is and whether it is going to keep people safer to have it than not have it. And George, it, George it, any, children, any more on this? Children don't die from COVID. They just don't. How many variants have we had, George? How many Each variant changes. And, and the reality is that the next one could wipe out all the children. You don't know. Well, That's when, part that, of this. when that happens, maybe you look at it then. But like I say, we've been into COVID for two years and children still are not dying from COVID. I'm sure there are some children who have Again, died. out of the first million deaths in the United States, 1,000 were under the age of 18. Okay. And how That's many? One, one, out of one thousandth of one percent. Out of 1,000 children that died, how many were vaccinated? How many weren't? And how many were vaccinated altogether? What percentage of those children who were vaccinated died? How many of those children had comorbidities? Again, one one thousandth of one percent died. And, and you we, don't do mandatory vaccines for one one thousandth. Where did you get that information? CDC. Okay. This is this is great. I'm loving this. Yeah. Um, since you brought up education, since we're talking about kids, um, the state has sent has has blown billions with a B over the last twenty to thirty years on education, and yet education today is at a is is kids are getting a worse education, a lower quality of education today than we were getting before all these billions of dollars were spent. How do we improve education in Massachusetts without throwing more money at it? Because obviously throwing more money at it hasn't worked. Whoever wants in. I, I could start. Um, again, there's other issues that are affecting the classroom, um, mental health issues with the children in the classroom, um, special education requiring the child to be in the same classroom with the non-special education and maybe disrupting that, but giving them the right to be in with their, their classmates. Um, I have, my father and mother were both educators. Um, my two sisters are educators. My brother-in-law is an educator. Um, so certainly, uh, and when I was running the very first time, I was a substitute teacher. So uh, I know the classroom, and uh, I was just in one last week. They're doing some really good things. I have to say that. They are, are tremendously um, stretched um, when you have someone who is uh, a special needs student and um, yells out in the middle of the class or disrupts the class. It's very difficult to try to keep everybody on task. Um, that being said, uh, money isn't going to solve the whole problem. I think that we have requirements that have to be taught. I think part of that we have to really push a lot more is, is the financial ability of students to know how to balance a, a checkbook, to be able to uh, save money and, and all of those things, um, because a lot of families are not, they're not learning that at home. Um, I think that we have a tremendous discipline problem. Um, I, I do family law. I do a lot of divorce law. And, and it, you know, families um, are afraid of, of picking sides, of the child picking sides, so they spoil them. They don't make them earn things. Um, I'm not saying everybody, but, but there are a lot of kids who are just feel entitled. And I think somehow we've got to work with the parents um, I've had my sisters have said, you know, a student said, my parents are going to sue you if you make me do this homework. <laughs> um, you know, so I think the, I think the students and uh, the parents of the students and the teachers have to work together on it. Um, but I do think there are some great things going on in the community. Um, I was just in last week when they, the governor signed the mass state dinosaur bill and the kids had learned about that going forward. And 
Um, I was actually kind of furious when I saw that story, not to interrupt you. Yeah. With all of the problems we have in Massachusetts, that's what they're spending their time on? We're not really. spending our time on that. Now, there's 8,000 bills that are going on, and um, that was just one that teaches the kids how a bill becomes a law. And this teacher that I went to see, she's actually gone out on expositions and helped to dig up fossils and all of that. So it's a great thing for these kids to see it firsthand. I went to... Um, I went to the Grand Canyon in January to visit my aunt, and, and I said, let's go to the Grand Canyon. I've never been there. So I got up for the, uh, for the sunrise. It was really something for me to get up that early. But I realized while I was there that my sister's class would probably be in class. And so I did a FaceTime, and they got to see the Grand Canyon live. Um, so I think that we're trying to give the children a, a lot of different areas. And like I said, that's just one bill one tiny bill that's gone through, but it teaches the kids. Just like years ago, the ladybug became the state bug because they were teaching the kids this is how a bill becomes a law. So you talk about all the money we spent on, uh, on education. And first off, kids have been set back really bad by COVID. It'll take years to get that fixed. But when education reform started back in the early 90s, you know, there was an agreement that we're going to spend the money to improve the schools. We're also going to do testing to see how well this, you know, how well we're doing. And that's how MCAS came around. Now, there's people that don't like MCAS. And I think as a result of COVID, I think we should suspend it as a graduation requirement for a couple of years. But MCAS is important as a way to judge how each school system is doing. It's a way to compare, you know, Lawrence with Lowell with Andover you know, and even within a, a city like Lawrence or Lowell, you can look at how individual schools are doing. So MCAS is important, and we need to keep it. We might need to update it. Might want to look at bring a different test. But testing is important, just as a way of of comparing apples to apples. Do you agree with that, Representative? I do agree that we need to have it. I think especially now we have to have it just to see how far behind our children are. Um, the fact that it, it, I don't believe and I have supported that it not be a graduation requirement at this point. Um, but I think a lot of teachers don't even want it to be taken. I think we should be taking it to get an assessment of where our children are now after the pandemic. It was a really tough time. And um, I think that we need to have that accountability so people feel good about spending the money we do on education. I would also say, too, like, school choice is important. And I know in my case, when I was a kid back in Somerville, I started in the public schools. I was in public schools from first grade through fifth grade. Then I was in Catholic school from, like, seventh grade through high school. And I would support vouchers because in my case, I saw that the Catholic school was better than the, than the, um, than the public schools at Somerville at the time. Do you support vouchers? I do. I think that parents can now send kids to a, a, a charter school. I don't see why they shouldn't be able to send it. it the whole issue is you know, separation of church and state. Um, but my my dad, when he finished as assistant superintendent of schools in, in Dracut, um, ended up down at St. Michael's School as principal there. And um, I could see the real benefits of a small little school like that. Um, but I also see what's going on at the charter school. And I had an intern from there, a high school intern, and um, really amazing what's going on. But so I think that there there should be a, cho a choice. We only have about 10 minutes left, and I want to squeeze wow. this in if I can. Um, since it was talking about education. One of the biggest complaints about education in this country today is all the sex, talks going, sex talk going on with young kids. 
Should that be uh, illegal? It seems to me that if a, if a stranger comes up to my eight-year-old and starts talking to her about sex, you call the police. Why is it okay for teachers? Whoever wants it. I, oh, go ahead, George. Well, again, I, you know, when you get to high school, I understand you need sex ed and this and that. But, yeah, it's totally inappropriate, you know, in elementary or certainly the, the you know, anything before eighth, seventh or eighth grade. I think that it is important that parents have the option to opt in, not opt out. Parents don't, uh, the opt out doesn't work. It needs to be opt in. Parents need to have a communication. They do have the the, um, parent councils for the schools, but the reality is that we need to um, have the parents have the say whether they know about this or not. The reality is, I, I saw some numbers that were frightening. In 2019, we had 28 students under the age of 15 who had an abortion. Wow. 28 and 43 were 15. Um, so do, do, are there, do, do we know, because I hear this all the time, what, what if the parent's the one that's abusing them, you know, they should be able to get an abortion without their parents knowing. Do we know of those, how many was that? So there were 28 that were under 15, 43 who were 15, 100 who were 16, and 169 that were 17. So was, and do, do, are there any numbers on whether or not the parents were prosecuted in those cases? No, not that I know of any of that, no. Okay. Um, so they say it's just a case, it's, they do it behind the parents' back because what if it's the parent doing the assaulting? But yet we have no numbers as to whether or not the parents are actually doing the assaulting. And I, I've always voted in favor of keeping the judicial um, consent that a, a, a student or a young person could go to a judge instead of their parents to make sure that they were uh, mature enough to make that decision. Um, I have also supported that we have mandatory aftercare for these kids. Obviously, if they're under 15 and they're getting pregnant, there's something going on that we need to be able to help those students. Um, so, you know, I think it's really important that um, we need to get parents more involved. The, the ones who have the troubled kids aren't involved in the schools. The ones who are very involved in the schools don't have those problems. They get insulted when we say we got to get the parents mm-hmm. involved in it. But um, I'm not sure how we do that. I don't know how we accept that, um, try to do better communication with the parents and say, this is what we're thinking of teaching. What do you think? Um, and only have the student go into that class if the parents agree in writing that they want them in there. George? I, um, I don't know the answer to this, and I guess I'll ask you. Abortion providers, are they mandatory reporters? Um, well, if they're nurses, they should be. Nurses and doctors are mandatory reporters. So, so I guess my question is, if you become a state representative, if it's not a mandatory report, shouldn't abortion providers be mandatory reporters? That's well, a great question. What I've learned over the years, and I, I'm pro-life, um, I have learned I've fought many battles to try to get abortion clinics to actually have an inspection. Um, right now, they do not have inspections. We inspect, we inspect nail salons and hair salons, but we don't inspect abortion clinics. Um, we don't require that the woman sign the consent in front of the provider. Uh, they can sign it at home and bring it in with them. We don't require that the woman be alone with the doctor for even 10 minutes to make sure they're not being trafficked trafficked, and the trafficker is standing with them the whole time. Um, you know, if we were any kind of requirement that we could put on a, a, an abortion clinic, they turn around and say, no, you're violating their right to have it. No, I think we should make sure the 
the women who have to go through this or choose to go through this, that, that, that it's a safe situation for them. And we've heard over and over about girls being trafficked and the idea that we're not giving that opportunity to say to the doctor, listen, I don't want this and I want to get out of here and get her out the back door. Mm -hmm. Why are we not doing that? We had a, a young woman who died in her early 20s down the Cape of an abortion. The person helping the doctor didn't even know CPR. The hallway wasn't even big enough for the gurney to go down from the, from the ambulance. But they're saying that would be a restriction on abortion if we made them have to have a hallway big enough for a gurney. Right. So I think that if we really were to start to go after the nurses and so forth, um, I think they would say that's another attack on abortion. Uh, but legally, I think that I don't think that there's any exception for that. So if a child has been molested and she goes there and she has, uh, is getting the abortion because she was molested, then um, I think the nurse would be required to to mandate that, uh, to, to disclose that. The other thing, you know, they always say, oh, it's, oh the poor woman who, you know, uh, she uh, got raped or so forth. Um, and, and I do. I, I feel badly about that. But the numbers I found on repeat abortions um, was also very moving. The numbers who have had three or more abortions, um, and of course, I can't find it right now, but it was numerous. And, you know, to say that, um, you know, this is something that was unplanned and, and they, you know, just had to do it because they were raped. I don't see the, to what you say, I don't see the charges of rape right. on so many people to, I think it was 18,000 abortions in Massachusetts in 2019. I haven't seen a big wave of, of rape charges going on. Right. Well, that, that was my, that was my point. George, while she's looking. On this issue, on which abortion or on yeah, um, well, I mean, I I don't consider myself pro-life because I don't want to ban all abortions, but I certainly don't like what Massachusetts is doing. I think they've now dropped the age to fifteen that you can get an abortion without your parents' consent. I oppose that. Uh, I also would would be okay with something like a ban after the first trimester. I know. New Hampshire, where you have Sununu, who considers himself pro-choice, he signed, I think it was 26 weeks. And the whole notion, which I, I find in Massachusetts, you know, seems to be abortion up until the moment of birth, and mm -hmm. I, I'm certainly against that. Mm -hmm. All right, we've only got about uh, two or three minutes left, so why don't each of you um, make your final pitch? This could be the last time people see or hear from either one of you before they actually cast a, uh, cast a vote. So uh, since Colleen went first, we'll let George go last. Uh, Colleen, why don't you, uh, Representative uh, Gary, why don't you go first? Thank you. Thanks again, Tom and, and Chrissy and, and George. Um, as I said, I've been the state representative now for 28 years. I still am just as excited about my job serving you and your families um, and our communities in the legislature. I represent you. I don't represent the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or any other party. Uh, I'm not someone that will be writing things about Democrats are, or all for your money or Republicans are this. And, you know, this is, needs to be a, a bipartisan. And I am the most bipartisan member of the House of Representatives. I cross party lines all the time. If you actually looked at how many times <coughs> I've been with the Republican Party uh, on issues, it's because I represent you. I don't represent the party. I'm not running to try to build the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. I'm running to be your voice on Beacon Hill. I believe I have been. You know, 28 years ago, I asked you to trust me. 
I, that I would listen, that I would care about your concerns, and I would do my best to help you with those concerns. And I think I have. I think my staff has done a tremendous job during COVID. We had over, over 300 people who called us for help with unemployment. Um, we've been able to help with that. We've been able to ro- help with the roads, the bridges, um, all the things that people care about. I voted, I was one of the only Democrats to vote to suspend the gas tax. Um, I have joined with the Republicans on a lot of uh, the tax reforms. Um, I think it's important that we make our community affordable. We also need to make it business friendly. We have the problem of being on the New Hampshire border and the competitiveness there. So I understand that. I know how to work with people. I am not one who will, my father used to say, don't burn any bridges, work together. And that's what I do. And that's why even though I'm voting against leadership numerous times, I do it in a respectful manner. I want them to understand that I'm not doing it just to hit the leadership. I'm doing it because it's my district, and I'm still allowed, I'm still able to get the assisted, the assistance in programs and funding and so forth to get things done for my district, and I'm so proud of that. My, the respect I've earned on Beacon Hill, the respect that I've earned in my community, and I'm asking you all, again, on the early voting or on election day to please vote for Colleen Gary for state representative. Can, I appreciate it. Can you also give a contact information if someone wants to make a donation or help you hold signs or whatever? You can call my cell. My number is 617-794-1389. Again, calling Gary, 617-794-1389. And I always put my private number out for anyone to call for anything, anytime. Thank you. George, last word. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Colleen. Again, thank you, folks at home. Thank you, studio audience. Um, My name's George Bogue. I'm running for state rep. I'm a conservative, lifelong Republican. I want to go to Beacon Hill. I don't like the leadership on Beacon Hill, either the Republican or the Democratic leadership. I know Brad Jones, the Republican minority leader, has been minority leader for 20 years, and I just think about, imagine being the Red Sox manager and finishing last 20 years in a row and still being the manager. I think it's time for a change on that. Um, you know, you look at the way Beacon Hill runs. They, they illegally overtaxed us by $3 billion last year. And I would not be surprised that after the election, they go into special session and try to keep that money and not give it back. Um, I'm a lifelong Republican. I've also been involved in labor issues. When I lived in Somerville, I was involved in affordable housing issues. So even though I'm a very conservative person on things like taxes, I'm not pigeonholed. I'm, I grew up in a city. I'm, you know, I know public transportation is important. I know labor issues are important. Affordable housing is important. Um, as far as contact info, my website is vote for Bogue, V-O-T-E, the number four, B-O-A-G dot com. Since we're doing cell phone numbers, my cell phone is 978-973-7132, 978-973-7132. I respectfully ask for your vote. 
either in early voting, mail-in ballot, or as I generally tend to do, in person on election day. Thank you. Thank you. State Representative Colleen Gary from Drakeit, representing Drakeit and Tingsboro. George Bogue, the challenger. Appreciate both of you being here. You can roll up Mel. Thank you, Chrissy, for, uh, for producing this, uh, this fine, fine discussion this afternoon. I want to thank our sponsors, which I neglected at the beginning of the show. Uh, I want to thank JG's Ice Cream, which uh, I'm actually going to stop and get myself a strawberry frap on my way over to Borelli's Deli, which is uh, one of our other sponsors. And I don't know if either one of you have been to Borelli's Deli, no. but great hot sausages. Um, butternut squash ravioli there wow. is amazing, pr- pretty amazing too. Um, also want to thank Lazy River Products in Drakeit, which are in your hometown, right? Oh, hopefully, hopefully both of you are consuming some of their product and relaxing a little bit. McLennan Real Estate, EIS Investigation, uh, Marsan and Sun Construction. Who did we leave out? A free shout out to Clear Path for Veterans New England, Tomo and Shaken Seafood, and our buddy Dave Id Consoli. And that's what you have to say. His name is Dave Id Consoli <laughs> at Pleasant Valley Landscaping. He's looking for workers. He's also got some um, some job openings too. So um, we'll see you guys next week at uh, at the same time, two o'clock on Thursday, for Joe Finn and Adrian Ramos. Sounds like Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. So go home already. Good job, my friend. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.